We all want the resurrection story, but you don't want to confront what death feels like. And don't pray for God to take control of your life and to allow his purposes to be made manifest because it will cost you your ego. It will cost you your comfort. It will cost you all of the imaginary walls of success that you've built up around yourself to isolate. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. I don't say this lightly, but I believe this is a very important conversation that you're about to experience. I've got my friend Cody Jefferson on the show today, and Cody is the founder of Embrace the Lion, where he has helped coach over 4,500 men on how to not sacrifice their soul on the altar of success. Now, this episode isn't just for men, though. This is for anyone, especially those of you who look like you have your life all together on the outside but on the inside, you are trapped in trauma from your past and in unhealthy cycles of behavior now. Cody has an incredibly powerful story. And when we got done with this interview, we both felt like God did something significant as we were talking. So I'm excited you've tuned in today. I'm excited that you've joined us. And I wanna let you know before we begin about a free resource I have that goes along with what we talk about today. It's a short guide called Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul. So if you're looking for a next step to take after listening or watching today, this would be a great resource to help you. So just go to wadejoy.com slash seven rhythms. That's the number seven. I'll also have that link in the show notes and the YouTube description. Now I pray that God will speak to you encourage you and challenge you through this conversation with Cody Jefferson. Cody, welcome to the show today. Hey, I'm, I'm glad to be here, man. Thank you. Yeah, so um, you and I have recently become friends, even though we ran in the same circles for many, many years, have a lot of similar experiences uh, in the past, uh, from music yeah. to being pastors to all the things. I think you're a Matchbox 20 fan too, so I think we got a, <laughs> we got a lot of- Massive Matchbox 20 fan. I'm just unapologetic about it. As you should be. <laughs> I feel like that's what's wrong with this new generation is they don't appreciate Rob Thomas. That's the it. Way they should. We just need a little bit more Rob Thomas in our life. That's really... <laughs> exactly. Solves it. Uh, well, I like to start uh, every episode asking the question, uh, what are you dreaming about right now? So take that any direction you want to. Man, it is, and there are so many directions that we could take this. Uh, I would say that, you know, I am, we talk about dreaming and what we're talking about coming into fruition. You know, we've obviously got the professional side of, of how I walk with people and how uh, we're seeking to serve in a deeper capacity and in a broader capacity. So that's very exciting. Backside of that, I'm dreaming for the future for you know my wife for my son for my stepson uh, for our church community and what god is doing there so there's a lot of things that i'm consistently <laughs> dreaming about um to pit put which i think is a really good thing i think that yeah. you know they say that a man without purpose is a ship without a, a rudder and you know without vision people perish and so i think it's good to always be dreaming right yeah no i i agree i think I think God created us to be dreamers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the ways he speaks to us. It's one of the ways he guides us. And I love the work that you're doing with, with men in particular. Yeah. 
and, and kingdom-minded leaders in the marketplace. But what I love too is, and you even said this recently to me in, in a conversation we were having, that you you were a pastor from an occupational standpoint years ago, and now you feel like you're more of a pastor than ever in the marketplace and in the business world. I'd love to talk about that journey that you've been on sure. and what the Lord taught you. I think you know 2016 was a pretty pivotal year for you in terms of life shifting directions. Yeah. Can you talk about that and how that informs where you're at now? Sure. Yeah, I mean, t- 2016 was a real capsize of a lot of things in my life. Uh, certainly some of those I created, right? So like we we make our own bed in hell. And others were completely abstract and anomaly. But they certainly all collided in one particular year, which created uh, a real, uh, I don't want to say Job moment, but I guess, you know, in some ways I could because I've seen the the blessing on the back side of it and I've seen the restoration of all things. And so in some ways, I guess we could we could create correlation. But in 2016, uh, I was serving at a church here in Tulsa and uh, went through a divorce. Uh, so that kind of started the snowball. Um, <clears throat> no, no good scandal for anybody. Sorry. We just got divorced. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but in the midst of that, still serving, right? Because there was no, there was no scandal or anything like we just still serving, still doing the thing. Uh, but the problem was, is that I never really gave myself time to process. So when you wrap your whole identity up around what you do, and then what you do is directly tied to God uh, from a professional manner, there is a sense that you can't really ever shut it off. And there's not really a space to shut it off because you don't want to let anyone down. And it's where also you kind of receive your validation. And for that particular you know season of life, it was my identity as well, because I was losing this piece of my identity. We had a one-year-old son. And so I'm losing my identity as a full-time dad. Like there's there's all of these shifts that are happening. It's the one thing I can hold on to. So I'm like holding that for dear life. Um, the, the, again, the problem is that other things started happening that would exacerbate the the trauma that I was already walking through. You know, I, I went through a season where I lost eight family members and friends over the course of yeah. that year. Uh, all unrelated tragedies, everything from, you know, an 18-month-old niece uh, whose life was taken to a 19-year-old sister whose life was taken to a sister-in-law who took her own life to, you know, a, a best friend who died of an overdose to a mentor who died in a motorcycle accident. Um, and the list goes on. And, you know, burying uh, a few, you know, pastor friends who had taken their own life in the midst of that uh, that year as well. It was a lot, man. And, but you keep the show going, right? Like there is no, well, just take time. It's like, so long as you, so long as you can keep it going, you keep it going and I'm fine and everything's okay. And I'm just blessed to be a blessing and God's got a plan and we're going to get through this and saying all the things that we're conditioned and taught to say and being very front facing, still leading worship on Sunday, still teaching, still doing all the things until my body just completely gave out. And so at the end of that year, I ended up going septic and um, was in the hospital out for three days unconscious. On the third day, I did rise again. I'm just saying, (laughs) that did happen. Um, But, you know, I, 
I was talking to the nurse there. And I had been, since the time I was, you know, knee high to a pig's eye, which is something we say here in rural Oklahoma, <laughs> I'd been making hospital business with my grandfather. He was a deacon in the church and was just a pillar of faith. And so that was so normalized for me. And, and through ministry, you know, I was always making hospital visits. I mean, I, w- we, I was just that pastor and I was that, mm-hmm. that shepherd. And so I asked her, I'm like, man, where is everybody? I, I know there's got to be a lot of people that have come through. She's like, no. I'm like, but I know everybody knows. Uh, yeah, no. Your family came in because we thought you were dying. I'm like, well, that's fair. And so I recognized, like, it was no indictment towards anyone. There was no ill will, no hard feelings or nothing like that. I was just like, I am sacrificing everything I love and ultimately my soul on the altar of self-perceived success and no one's coming to save me. Hmm. And what is the story I can remember that I had led my best friend's funeral? And I had led all of those funerals because that's what I do. And his five-year-old son was sitting in the front row, which we can talk about, should a five-year-old be in the front row of his dad's funeral in the first place? But hmm. I stopped the service. Now I'd gone to high school with all these guys, so it was fine. I stopped the service and I just went down and I sat with this kid. Because he, like, what do you do? And I thought in that moment when I was in the hospital, like, who sits with my kid? And what are the stories they're going to tell? Because I can't tell him any. Am I, am, am I going to sacrifice everything I love on the altar of, of what? Of this performance heavy, can't shut it off, High stress, high stakes, nothing is ever enough. And again, it's not its not an indictment. It's just the culture that I think the modern church has kind of created of bigger, better, faster. And between that and seeing why the stress uh, of, of ministry had taken the lives of so many friends, we don't talk about that. I kind of picked myself up out of the hospital bed, grabbed my IV tree. I cover myself up because I recognize I'm just in a robe. I'm naked for sure. <laughs> and But you know, listen, I'm like covering up. I'm not trying to get any nurses stumble in their walk. So I cover <laughs> myself up and walk to the bathroom. And I look at myself and I'm like, nobody's going to save you. So what are you going to do? And I had just read, uh, I had just read my, my dear friend Jonathan Martin's book, How to Survive a Shipwreck. Mm-hmm. And we served together at, at church, and uh, we were pastors together. And I'm like, "This is my shipwreck." And am I going to drown? And that's the story they tell my son. Or do I do do I grab onto this piece of wood, which is the grace that God's given me to still be here? And do I just do I let that carry me into shore? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. And the transition out of ministry again was it was. Nothing too, uh, nothing too crazy. It was just that I felt this deep desire to walk with men like me. Well, to one, get myself out of an environment where I knew I was going to continually be conditioned to perform. And I was never going to be able to fully shut it off. 
And what got me here won't get me there. And I can't keep, I can't keep doing this. So I need to find accountability. I need to find mentorship. I need to find the develop habits that create a stronger, more resilient man and not a yes man who is so conditioned to pleasing everyone and saying yes to everything. I need my no to be stronger. So it took some time. Um, in between that and developing Embrace the Lion, which is uh, the company that I run now, it was originally Embrace the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, but like you try to type that into an email address and it's like, that's cumbersome. So, <clears throat> I mean, I was doing everything. I, I've been a licensed mechanic for about 20 years. So I was flipping Harleys. I was cutting hair. I've been a licensed barber for the same amount of time. I was cutting hair. I was doing uh, piano lessons, guitar lessons, vocal lessons for kids. I was playing on the weekends building websites. I was doing everything I could, but it was on my time. And I was, I was getting healthy and I was learning to set proper boundaries. And I was learning to, to love myself for who I am, not what I did and develop the system and a process around that. Cause I mean, I couldn't find anything outside of like some way of the master stuff. And I'm like, I don't, that's not going to do it for me. And I don't certainly need to, like, this isn't a conversation just pray more. Like I need to actually change my habits. I need to change my patterns so that I can produce something different because right now this vine is dead and took a step back from church for a while. Um, uh, again, I just needed to figure out what I believed outside of what my family told me to believe, what I went to school to prove, and what I got paid to teach. Hmm. And all of the really well-intentioned ways of leading through my 20s and of all the simple, soft prayers and the cheap grace that I offered everyone on the backside of really no trauma confrontation in my own life, none of that made sense anymore. And I needed to figure out what it meant for me. And so that was the that was the process and that was the journey. And now, you know, on the backside of that, you know, we're in 2023 now and uh, we serve tens of thousands of men and uh, across the breadth of our programs, we've got about 4,500 guys in currently. And, uh, you know, I serve on a, a multitude of boards in a, in a multitude of different verticals uh, as a consultant and as an advisor, um, CEO of a few companies. And can travel the country and speak uh, when applicable, and it's been a lot of fun, and uh, not at the sacrifice of my family, and not at the sacrifice of my relationship uh, with my son. That means more than anything to me. Hmm. Well, first of all, thanks for just that's kind of long winded. I know that's no, kind of long winded. No, I, I'm glad you did though, because I think it's it's powerful, and I think you can't understand where you're at right now in your life and what the Lord is doing through you if you don't understand what you had to walk through to get here. Yeah. Um, and the choices you had to make and some of the sacrifices you've had to make. And I kind of want to go back to kind of that messy process in between where you were then and where you are now. Sure. What were certain lifelines that you held on to during that time? And then what revelations did you have about yourself specifically? Because I know you talk a lot about identity yeah. and purpose. How did that kind of come to be during this time where you were really searching, number one, for for what you believed about God and then what you believed about yourself too? Yeah. So there's a few different things. And I, I believe that your your audience will resonate with some of these, certainly. I grew up in a pretty 
tumultuous environment growing up. There was a lot of trauma. And uh, I grew up navigating the emotions of some unhealthy adults. And so growing up, uh, you, you couple that with being good at most things. I'm a pretty charismatic guy, very outgoing. And academically, I did really well. Things came very naturally to me. And uh, when you're good at most things, it's it's easy to be known for being good at most things. And so you start to normalize problem solving and your identity gets wrapped up in that. Even from the time of being a kid, when you're mitigating the emotional experiences of adults, you don't know how to process emotions for yourself. So this leads to a whole host of issues, right? So one, I thought I was highly empathetic. Now I understand how to be empathetic without agenda. Hmm. But for the majority of my teens and into my 20s, and, and you know, this gets this just gets a magnifying glass put on it and, and, and blown up when you're in ministry because now you have a whole host of problems that you can solve. It wasn't that I was so empathetic. It was that I'm really good at mitigating the trauma response for adults. Mm-hmm. And I'm really good at minimizing emotional volatility and creating solutions. The problem is, is that's a window. So I can look at other people, but there's no mirror for me to look at myself. Hmm. So when that happens, it will, now we're confronted with the reality that, do I do what I do because I love doing it? Or do I do what I do because I love how it makes me feel based off of the approval and the praise and the affirmation of others? And recognizing, whoa, you're actually addicted to affirmation because you grew up in a home where you didn't get that. I didn't have that. And that's what I longed for. Mm-hmm. And that this is no indictment against my parents. They're great. Um, have an amazing relationship with my dad. I just recognized that there were certain things that I was looking for. And I didn't find them, so I tried to find them inside of the church. And it wasn't that I wasn't genuine in my approach and that I didn't genuinely love people. I love people. But if you get into hanging out with pastors for long enough, most of us have been through some sort of trauma. And most of us are were looking for a way to heal that. But the problem is if you don't go back and if you don't actually do the work through therapy and through counseling to really like to pull out that pain and transform Mm -hmm. it, you inevitably end up transmitting it to the people around you. In some ways, just especially in in romantic relationships, if all you know is chaos growing up and all you know is putting out fires, then safe love isn't safe. Dysregulated emotions and dysregulated central nervous system is what's safe. Because if I don't have a problem to fix, then I'm not worth loving. If If I don't have a fire to put out, then I'm not valuable. If there's not a problem to solve, then what am I worth? 
if somebody's not calling me or coming to me, then am I serving God? Am I letting him down? Do I need to create manufacture? Like, there's so many things that we unconsciously do that we don't think of. And so the process for me was really going deep into that and going deep back into like my childhood and why I did the things that I did and why I created the patterns that I did and how I got to this place of going septic because I just, I couldn't say, hey, like everyone around me is dying. I'm also like losing a part of myself and my identity. And this is very traumatic. And I, I actually, I just need some, I need to take a step back, but I didn't feel safe to take a step back because my entire sense of self and identity and worthiness came down to performance and how I could show up and save the world. But I just needed to save myself. Hmm. So the process was then just a, a deep dive into counseling. And let me tell you, it's, Counseling is not sit on a couch and just tell your story and they tell you, well, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Certainly it can be that in certain aspects, but if it is not, if it is not pulling out anger, if it is not pulling out deep seated emotion, if it is not something that you are like, oh, I, I, this is going to be a band aid that I don't want ripped off, but I trust you enough to rip it off. If it is not confronting all of your consternation and complacency and confusion, you just have an expensive friend you're talking to. <laughs> right. So the process for me was finding out how to love myself for who I am, being or, or walking into a season of being very unapologetic about my giftings and not having to play the humble card anymore. Certainly not playing an arrogant card, but being confident. But confidence to people who are not confident comes off as arrogance. Yeah. And so not apologizing for the way that I make other people feel because I, because that's what got me to where I was. And that's not where I wanted to be. So learning how to develop confidence, not through the affirmation of others, because if you live for their affirmation, you'll die by their criticism. Building my confidence off of keeping my word to myself, which means that I needed to really articulate who I wanted to become. 15 years ago, you could not have told me that I would be where I am today. This version of me didn't exist. Mm -hmm. What I do now was not, that wasn't not even a reality to what I thought could be possible. I thought I would just continue doing, like 15 years ago, oh, I'm just going to be in music, you know, probably cutting records with James Duke. That's all I'm going to be doing. That's we, all I, that's, that's it. We've talked about this. We all wanted to be James Duke. That's back it. In the that's all I wanted to do. You know <laughs> what I mean? I'm probably I'm just going to get you and Mac on a feature, and that's and we're just going to be living our best lives. <laughs> hey, let's you get know? the band back together. That's it. That's it. Chris sang too high, so that wasn't going to work. That's true. And so you couldn't have told me, but I I focused on who do I need to become, which has become the, the whole frame of Embrace the Lion, which is what needs to die in me to become the man that I said that I'd be. And it is, it is a daily death. And we, we want to sing songs all Sunday about, you know, take my life and, you know, like I'll burn for you and I'll die for you. BS. We all want the resurrection story, but you don't want to confront what death feels like. 
And don't pray for God to take control of your life and and to allow his purposes to be made manifest because it will cost you your ego. It will cost you your comfort. It will cost you all of, this, all of the imaginary walls of success that you've built up around yourself to isolate and to hide the fact that you really don't know deep down. Hmm. That was the journey. It was an undoing of it was an undoing of every wall that I had ever built up. And building certainty through cultivating results and keeping my word to myself and stacking that. Stacking my daily habits in a way that made sense to confirm who it is that I say that I am. So I don't really rest on feeling like myself or like are you happy? I'm, I'm just me. Are you sad? I'm just me. I mean, it depends on the day of the week. I can be a whole multitude of emotions, but I'm not any of those emotions. They're, they're just there. I'm the result of the things that I do and who I say that I am and how I walk. And if you don't like it, I've spent way too many years trying to prove that. Richard Rohr in Falling Upward says that you know true contentment is when there's nothing to prove, hide, or protect. Hmm. And that was the journey for me. Man, there's so many directions I want to go based on what you just <laughs> said. But even that, what needs to die in me to become the man I'm called to be, mm-hmm. that right there, I mean, that's the central question of discipleship, of following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's a scary question to ask. Terrifying. Um, is that something, I mean, we've talked about your past journey, but even right now in this sure. moment, what do you feel like is on the other side of that question for you? So I have been, I, I'm so glad we get to talk about this because I have been in a self-imposed desert season for about the past four months. I felt like I was in my prayer time and there's so many endeavors that I'm a part of right now that uh, require a great deal of intellect and insight uh, and attention. And traveling the country, speaking, being gone four to five days at a time in, in, in those kinds of clips, two or three times a month, uh, it wasn't allowing for that kind of direct attention. Nothing was falling through the cracks, but it was like the Lord is saying, I don't need you to, I, I, I need you to not speak right now. I need you to study which confronts my ego because I've built, um, I've built all of my, you know, we call it a brand. Um, uh, I build most of my exposure in terms of client acquisition through speaking on stages. And it's all I've done for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, hold on. You called me to this. Are you calling me out of it? And what, and why? And it was pretty clear that it wasn't that, it's not that you're being called out. No, I'm, I'm calling you to it more than ever, but you, you're getting lazy. Your charisma and natural talent, just because you can get on a stage and wing it, not called you to that. You're being lazy with the talents that I've given you. And with the resource that I've given you now, financially, to be able to surround yourself with time and focus 
Okay. So I step back. As I step back, I get sick. And I don't really understand why. There's no reason. I feel fine. I feel completely fine. But I'm like, I should probably get some blood work done. You know, I've gone septic. You know, I've been on testosterone replacement because I went through hormonal shutdown in 16. So like I've had to be on it since then. So I'm like, I probably should, I, I need to get like, I need to get more than what my PCP is doing because something doesn't feel right. So I got like this 30 panel blood work done. I get a call from the doctor and like, you either go give blood now or you go straight to the hospital. Because wow. you're you're about to have a heart attack. I'm like, what? Blood was too thick. Iron was toxically high. Like there was just so much going on. Triglycerides, everything was crazy. So, and they're like, things are off. Go get blood. So I go give blood. Next day, shingles. So this had been laying dormant in me and making me sick. So that expresses in the worst case that my doctor's ever seen, just over my entire left side, front and back. I've had shingles before, and it's you the can worst. Imagine. It's the worst. It went all the way up to my neck and all the way down to the back of my calf. And it went up my whole left side and then wrapped around to the front. Okay, mine was not that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when I say, like, it, it was personal. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so that, it was like, whoa, you, you called me to take a step back. And then this hits and it's like, just in case you didn't think I was serious, you're going to take a step back. And so I'm talking to my doctor. I'm like, what? why is this happening? Like, well, just because you've normalized stress and you can run eight companies and you can be just fine, your body's not super human. Like it is just a body. And you've not, your cortisol is through the roof and you've been normalizing stress which is what a lot of us high performers do. So it's been a season over the past five months, recalibrating, retooling, getting my health in order. Like, and all of it, all of it has, I, it's so clear to me. And I just came off a five-day fast last week, uh, you know, water fast. And because I just wanted to seek deeper. I'm like, I, I just, I want to, I want to tune in. And I can see it so clearly, like the 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 where, where my health is now, where my clarity of leadership is, where our companies are now. Our companies have four x in the past six months, due to uh, just a, a tremendous amount of vision and clarity and very acute attention towards the things that I'm called to, and fresh revelation in the conversation of how I communicate. And the messages that I feel will be useful in the business sector, because yes, I'm not I'm not behind a pulpit anymore, but I'm more a pastor now than I've ever been. And the pulpit was always preparation for that platform. And in all the way, all the things that we take for granted, our leadership development, the ways in which we are academically studying scripture, the ways in which we apply, the ways in which we build object lessons, the ways in which we communicate, walk with people, love people, lead people the way that we know people because we're a culture that is desperate to be known but we settle every day for being seen hmm. like we we meet people at their well and taking a step back to recalibrate the responsibility that I've been given to see that talent with fresh eyes that all of that ego all of that assumption, all of the 
ways in which I was neglecting certain areas. Again, nothing inherently bad. It's just when you're going 100 miles an hour all the time, like, how do you, how do you hear from God when you're always talking? Mm-hmm. And so what's been dying in me is my voice so that I could hear his more, more clearly and plainly. And it has been loud. Yeah. I think that's such, I don't I think it's really helpful to, hear you process that in real time because a lot of times I'll talk to to leaders and they have this ambition they want to be used by God they want to steward well what they've been entrusted with they also know they need to be content and and like you said be confident but not arrogant and it feels like there can be these competing signals of I want to grow I want to I want to prosper but I also want to trust and be happy with where I'm at. And just to hear your sensitivity to say, okay, yes, God's still calling me to this, but I've got to, I've got to press pause right now to make sure my inner world can handle what's going on on the outside. Well, because the growth has happened so quickly that it's very easy to get out over the skis. And it's very easy for guys like us or, or women as well who are, again, naturally gifted in certain areas. It's very easy to let that charisma and talent coast for you. Because if your 60% is someone else's 120%, like it gets very easy to normalize that pace. And, but in the midst of that, you recognize that there's a gap. And that's what I was recognizing. I'm like, there's, there's more here. But like a slingshot, do I need to be pulled back for a second to really go as far as I can? And you know that that's that that's been the journey. And you know, for when we talk about you know those seasons, those seasons of feeling buried, you know, like the the consideration is that you're not buried, you're being planted. But in order to be planted, you know, my grandfather was a gardener, and we had a quarter acre garden growing up. In order for that seed to take root, there's a shell around every single seed that has to be broken apart. That's what the root breaks through. But that means that there has to be a season where you're in the ground. Otherwise, you're relying on the protection of the shell. And God doesn't grow the shell, he grows the seed. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was this prayer and really the season of, okay, God, could you just, you've done it before, you'll do it again. Would you break open the shell that I've somehow created? Only this time it's not out of protection. Would you break that open? And I'm open to what grows. And that's been the real beauty of where I'm at. Now, listen, it's, it's, it has been difficult for my ego. It has been, it was a real transition to slow down. Uh, it, there was a little bit, there was some, some days that I felt like Ricky Bobby. I just didn't know what to do with my hands. Mm-hmm. There is a sense when I see friends and colleagues out doing things that um, there's like some FOMO. Like, am I, am I missing out? Am I not relevant anymore? And, am I going to miss opportunities? Am I, am I going to miss business deals? 
Am I going to, are they going to call me next year to be on stages or am I just out of the club now? You know, it's interesting when I, now on the backside of that, I don't rely on stages. I don't rely on any of that for majority of what I do now because we've, we've built companies that, that cash flow and it's a different conversation, but it's, uh, it's still, again, that's what needed to die. And that is what, that is what is dying. And inside of that, there's a really beautiful grace that I've found that, that I, I I've not experienced before. And because even when I stopped, when I, when I stepped out of ministry and into starting to consult and coach, there was a short break, but I was still doing a lot of things. And, and I think this is the first time, and certainly like my, my financial positioning um, is very different than it used to be. And so I'm, I'm able to, that, that's not a stress anymore. And so that takes a heavy weight off of things to allow for process and to find and to seek that peace. But you can, for me at least, I needed to find that peace in the quiet. I think I saw you one time post that sometimes we confuse peace with boredom and yeah. we actually have peace. Well, but we but, because peace, peace to people who are used to going all the time, peace is boring, but also to people who have grown up in conflict and have experienced great conflict, peace is actually a threat. Because, not because it's a threat in and of itself, but because it's not familiar. And so, again, you think about this in relationships. If we're not at each other, right? If it's just peaceful, then we're, we will create tension because boring is not bliss. Bliss is putting out fires because that's all I know how to do. If my central nervous system is not dysregulated, if you're not mad, if, if I'm not getting attention, even if it's negative attention, how do I know that you love me? If I'm not sabotaging and you're not staying through the sabotage so that I know you're in, so I know you're really in, mm. right? Peace feels boring to those who've never experienced it before, not wholly. I was actually on a call uh, this morning with, with one of our masterminds, and I was saying, you know, one of the most undervalued assets that you can have personally and professionally is peace. You can have high profitability. You can, we, we've scaled a number of companies. I've been a part of some really cool things. But if you don't have peace, it's all for nothing. Hmm. How would you define peace? Because I think that's one of those words that everyone's like, yes, I want that. But is peace not feeling stressed? Is peace being in the moment? Like, How would you define that? If you can figure out how to not experience stress in life, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> right. Um, you, you, listen, we'll set up your marketing campaigns. <laughs> we'll get you running. <laughs> stress is always going to be experienced, but I also, you know, you can't sharpen a blade without friction. There has to be stress. And I think stress is, stress is healthy. Mm-hmm. Stress moves us forward. Stress lets us know where there's a problem, but also you stress you know, is, is a great endorphin release. 
So it's not an absence of stress. Peace is, well, if we define it from a scriptural standpoint, as the early church greeted one another with grace and with peace, you know, grace is God's unmerited favor, something that we can't earn, that we don't deserve, that is given through the blood of Christ. And peace is a divine reconciliation of all things. Peace is recognizing that God has given me dominion and control insofar as I can take it. And where I cannot, he's got me. He's never not had me. Then in the midst of every season, every high, every low, you know, Kohaled and Ecclesiastes speaks of seasons so frequently and so eloquently. There are seasons for everything. And it's all fleeting. Havel is, is the word, which is smoke or vapor. But it's all meaningless. But if it is all meaningless, then the assignment is to contextualize and to give meaning to that which is here and to enjoy everything for as long as you have it because that's as long as you have it. Mm-hmm. And to recognize that, like, yeah, while we're all unique and while we all have our own unique propensities and you know things about us and quirks and stresses in our lives, whether we you know induce those ourselves or they're placed on us, you know, all unique snowflakes, you back up. Everybody's just it's just a bunch of snow. <laughs> So you recognize your place in life. You recognize the finality of things. And I think through losing as many people as I have and um, recognizing that legacy, you know, it's not the multitude of what you build. It's the people who stand over your casket and what they say. Hmm. That we're all going back to the dirt and the fact that I have, I have a sister that, that will never take a breath again. I have a niece that will never take a breath again. I've got all these people in my lives who will never breathe again. And I wake up and I'm healthy. I have eyes that see. I have a mouth that tastes. I have a heart that loves. I have hands that can work. I have a mind that is competent and creative. It's all a gift. And there's a peace there. I'm not saying that storms don't come, but I know the one who calms the waters. And I don't mean to get all pastoral here, but I've already been to hell. And I've walked it. And I've made my bed there. And I have cursed God from there. And the reciprocation of that is I can't outrun his grace. I can't outrun his mercy. I've tried. I have tried. And I have been frustrated and I've been angry and I have been depressed and I have been anxious. I have been hopeless. And I'm still here. Hmm. And to step into that with trust no cute prayers, as Bonhoeffer would say, with no cheap grace. I don't have cute platitudes for you. But I know what he's brought me through. And I know what he's called me to. And you can't cancel me because you didn't call me. 
And that if he's not failed me now, he won't fail me. I may, and I do. But the peace is in he doesn't. And he won't call me where he won't acquit me. So I don't have to worry about that. All this uh, Byron Katie and Loving What Is speaks of three businesses. I've got my own business. You've got your business. And then there's God's business. Peace is I'm going to focus on my business day in and day out. I'm not going to meddle in yours because then I can't focus on mine. And I'm certainly not going to try to solve the problems that only God can. That's peace. Yeah. I, that was that was an amazing definition and exploration of that, of what it is and what it isn't. I'd love to know, how are you passing all this down to your son and to your stepson? I know mm-hmm. that's really important to you um, and what you model and how you set that standard. So how are you doing that? Yeah. I think one of the healthiest gifts we can give our kids is to be healthy ourselves. So living a life that is as full of integrity as possible. Certainly nobody's perfect. And I get it wrong every single day. You know, try to try to minimize that as much as possible. Uh, but but nobody's a superhuman. Um so through my daily habits, it's one thing to tell your kids something and tell them to do something, but I just want to show them that this is, we have a saying, we're Jeffersons, this is who we are, this is what we do. And on the flip side of that, these are the things that we don't do. Now, can they go against the grain on that? They're nine, they do. <laughs> but at the heart of it, I lead by example. I'm involved in the endeavors that I'm involved in because I want to show them that when I say you can do and be anything, I'm not just saying that. I'm living proof of that. Currently, right now, in Times Square, I was there in 2016 on the backside of a divorce going to New York Theological Seminary where I was told Who wants a divorced youth pastor? Who wants a divorced pastor? Oh. You know what you'll find in Times Square right now? Literally, right like as we speak? My billboard. (laughs) I'm here to I'm here to show. I'm here to show them what's possible. But not on the backside of my relationship. I don't miss events. I'm at the school every single week with lunch. I uh, organized all the dads in the school because there wasn't an organization for dads and like we need more strong, capable men to show up in the life of the school. And not that they didn't want to, they didn't have a vehicle to. So I can't present a problem, not a solution. That's not who Jeffersons are. It's not what we do. So if you come with a problem, you come with a solution. So I came with one. And here we are. Focus time with each and every one of them. Right with 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 both. If my son wants to go on an adventure, we go. Um, he understands the inner workings of what I do. He sees it. He knows my clients. 
He knows all my business partners. Titus does as well. Travel with me. I want them to see what it is to be a man of integrity, to be a man of faith, to be able to speak that faith very, very openly, to to do business with men who are like-lifed and like-minded, who want the same things, who value their families. Uh, Both are in sports, and I am in impeccable shape. I don't want to be the dad who's 30 pounds overweight, barking at my kid from the sidelines about what he needs to be doing. To No, I'm going to be on the mat and on the field with him, be leading by example. This is not a do as I say, not as I do. So you every day you're setting a standard. Whether it's the standard you want to set or not is dependent on your, one, level of awareness and level of commitment and follow through, your execution. And every day you get to decide, when you wake up, you win the lottery. You're alive. You have another mm-hmm. opportunity to sow seed. You have another opportunity to experience grace. And you have another opportunity to, ex- to extend that grace. You have another opportunity to learn, to push your body, the only vehicle you have in this life. And so by just living an example, being present, engaging in really, really deep conversations, I love it. Encouraging them for who they are, recognizing that I'm not, I don't want you to do things to make me proud. I'm proud of you, but just because you're my kid, I I love you. Are you proud of you? Helping to again, on the backside of healing some of the woundings that, that I carried with me and recognizing that specifically my son carries a lot of my same traits. Helping him and giving him tools to build confidence for himself, to stand up for himself, to recognize that he is an incredible leader. But with that leadership comes incredible responsibility Not to be minimized is the responsibility to take care of yourself and fill your cup first and to practice radical discipline and boundaries. Because if you give people enough rope, they'll hang you by it. Not because they want Mm. to, but just that's because what we do. So laughing a lot. Somebody uh, the other day asked me, because Stetson always grabs my hand and holds it and I was asked, when are you going to stop? He's nine. When are you going to stop holding his hand? I'm like, when he stops reaching for it. Hmm. Because if I keep telling him no, he'll just stop. And we never, just an awareness to never take a day for granted. It's not about being perfect. It's about being present. And when you're present, you become aware. And when you're aware, then you tend to work on yourself. And every, every time your kid does something with you, it could be the last Every time your kid asks you to tuck them in, could be the last. Read me a story, could be the last. Read with me, could be the last. Can we go here, could be the last. Hold your hand, could be the last. Jumps in your arm after school, could be the last. You don't know. So don't take it for granted. And that presence alone is everything I needed as a kid. I didn't need more stuff. And a lot of times I think we, when we come into a situation where we maybe have some prosperity or, or abundance in our life, 
we start to spoil our kids with things to compensate for the fact that we are working more. But the problem is you're giving your kid the same trauma you had. There's just more stuff. Hmm. When all you really wanted was a present parent who wasn't trying to make ends meet all the time and wasn't present for things. Wow. I think there's so much in what you just said that doesn't just, I mean, it applies as a parent, but I think it applies as a leader, as a husband, just even that the power of presence. And I was just struck as you were talking about this could be the last time. You don't know often it's the last time while you're in the middle of it. You don't. It's only when you look back and usually it's with regret that you didn't make the most of it when you were actually in that moment. Yeah, I really, I mean, there's, I, I feel like this whole conversation is going to minister to a lot of people. It's going to encourage people, but also challenge us um, to actually set that standard in our lives to decide. Because yeah. when you say, this is who we are, this is what we do, and to personalize it, this is who I am, this is what I do, I think we have to decide who do we want to be? Yeah. Who does God call us to be? Who has He gifted yeah. us to be? And, and what do we want to do with what he's entrusted to us? Because a lot of times I think God gives us a choice. Um, sure. Sure. And, and if you'll be faithful, he will multiply it. I'm I am proof of that. Yeah. I'm I'm a guy from rural Oklahoma who and I feel like what we're doing now and what what I'm up to, I'm just getting started. I don't I'm not having even scratched the surface of what God has called me to. But I know that it starts with me and it starts in my home. Mm-hmm. Because it profits me nothing to gain the world and lose the people that love me in the process. I've played that yeah. game before. And I've touched that stove. So, Well, thank you for doing everything you can to help other men and women, just through your testimony and what you share, recognize the gift that we've been given. Mm-hmm. And also, I feel like you give people permission to not feel like they have to be perfect, to not feel like they have to present that everything's okay. And just to be able to say, I need help. And I need someone to help me right now. As we close, is there anything you would say to the person who's listening to this and they feel like, I know I need to stop and I need to get healthy, but I feel like I can't stop anything in my life and I can't press pause on anything to do that. What would you say to them? To say that you can is to give your power away to something or someone else. And God has called us each with dominion over our own lives. So to say that you can't is to disgrace the gift that God has given you in autonomy. You can. You're choosing not to. And again, in choosing not to, you're setting a standard. I have no judgment towards it. I have been there before. I have felt in so many seasons that there, if I only knew what to do, if I only knew how to just turn off for a little bit, I'd have you consider looking into where your boundaries are. What are those boundaries? What, who, who do you want to become? Who do you feel God is calling you to be? And if I were to take a look at your calendar and the fruit of your life currently, does it reflect the vision that you feel God has called you to. And if not, well, there's no shame to that because it just is what it is. Like we can just be objective about it. It's just where you are. And where you are is where you are. 
So how do we then take the gift of every day and how do you put a framework together? It's like, let's not over-spiritualize this. How do you reconstruct your day-to-day to give yourself space and to confirm who it is that you say that you are, right? If there, if there are areas in your life that are com- incredibly noisy, are you finding time to seek peace and to seek quiet? Because again, so long as you're talking and so long as you have something to say and so long as people are around you, you, you can't, you're, you're avoiding hearing from God. And I'd have you consider that part of the reason that you want to avoid hearing from God because you know exactly what he's, he's going to say. Mm-hmm. But again, until you're willing to confront where you are, he can't, he can't call you into where, you, where you're called to go. You're Israel circling the same mountain expecting a different result because you keep seeking a place and you keep seeking a thing, not recognizing that the holy place, it's, it's, it's the path that you walk. It's the presence of God. Get quiet. Hmm. Find space. Look to your circle again. Like we can get very objective about this. Who are you spending time with? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Are they encouraging your vision? Are they encouraging your mental health? Are they encouraging your spiritual development? Are they praying with you? Are they holding you accountable to the to the vision that you communicated to them that God has given you for your life? Iron sharpens iron. But if there is no friction and you're not being called out, nothing moves forward. So I would, I would have you consider that if you find yourself in a cyclical pattern of overwhelm, of feeling stuck, it's not about doing more. It's about slowing down so that God can speed up. Doesn't mean we become complacent. To me, success is contentment without complacency. I am content, but I know also that I am called. And with that call comes responsibility. Recognize that if you are not responsible with the talents given to you, we know how this story ends. They are given to someone else. Don't let that happen in your life. Thank you so much for just the wisdom you've shared. I really appreciate your boldness, your vulnerability. And the way you unashamedly challenge us too. And so- But I'd want the same. I would absolutely want the same. And to honor you, like I I will tell you that this season of life for me is so rich because in that kind of wilderness season, God has put so many people into my life that have been so instrumental in so many ways. And you know, some of them, we've talked about some of them, but I want you to know that you're one of them. When I, when I was in worship ministry and I was singing your songs and we were following the playbook of the community that you served and led, um, you are such an incredible gift to my life. And, and I, 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 if, we, if we count back and look at all of the people who have influenced us in the, in the ways in which you know, 
God has brought us into the seasons that we're in. And hopefully those are of abundance and prosperity. And, and certainly we have desert seasons as well, and we have dry seasons, and we have Job moments. But I will tell you that the songs that you've written, the ways in which you've led, the, the evolution of who you've become in this process and who you're consistently becoming is, is such a gift to me. And you continue to minister to me. So I just, I wanted to honor you and, and honor you for, for engaging this conversation. Um, I count myself blessed to consider you a friend. And so. Well, likewise, my friend, I'm, I'm continually learning from you in this season and it causes me to dream bigger and to be bolder. Yeah. Where can people follow you and learn from you? Yeah, very simple. CodyJefferson.com. You can find me there. Uh, if you're wanting to connect um, outside of shooting me an email, which ultimately get filtered, um, not that I won't see it, it'll just take a little longer, but you can find me on social. Um, if you just uh, message me on Instagram, it's probably the easiest place. And it'll go to my requests. But if you put the name of this podcast at the top of it, then like we'll know that like you're real and you're not trying to sell me things. And uh, I'll be sure to, I, I respond and engage with every single person. Like I'm not anybody big time. I'm a guy living his best life in Oklahoma, trying to be a good steward to what God's called me to. And if I can add value to your life, if I can, if I can hear your story, if, if you got something that you want to share, if this has helped you in some way, uh, you can share something, tag me in it. Love to share that and uh, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Um, again, once a pastor, always a pastor. Awesome. Thank you, Cody. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. I pray that God spoke something to you. He ministered to you through that conversation. Don't forget to follow Cody so you can continue to learn from him. Also, I have that free resource, Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul. You can find that in the show notes and the YouTube description. And I'd love to see you back here next week for more Dreamers and Disciples. And if you love this show, please share it with somebody, leave a review, subscribe on YouTube or Apple or Spotify. Let's help get just this encouragement out to as many people as possible. And thank you, whether this is your first time here or you're part of our community, your support means the world to me. See you back here next week. Mm -hmm.